The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Michael Jacobson. He is the co-founder and former executive director of the Center for Science in the Public Interest. Dr. Jacobson has written numerous books and reports, including most recently Salt Wars, the battle over the biggest killer in the American diet, which we'll be discussing today. He's also the author of Eater's Digest, the consumer's fact book of food additives, Salt, the Forgotten Killer, and Liquid Candy, How Soft Drinks Are Harming Americans' Health. He has also been honored with such awards as the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's Hero Award in 2010, the American Public Health Association's David P. Rawl Award for Advocacy in Public Health in 2011, and the Food Marketing Institute's Esther Peterson Consumer Service Award in 1992. Dr. Jacobson holds a Ph.D. in microbiology from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Welcome, Dr. Jacobson. It's an honor to have you. Well, thank you, Melinda. Thanks very much for having me. Well, I got a copy of Salt Wars, and I thought, we have to talk about this. As a registered dietitian, I have been certainly teaching patients about low-sodium diets for 40 years, but this book really brings home the politics behind our dietary recommendations and how difficult it really is. Not only that, but the book points out just how important it is to reduce sodium. I want to know, before we dive into the book, how did you, with a degree in microbiology from MIT, get started in the nutrition world? Well, it's a strange way. Back in 19... 19- 69 or 1970, I was graduating from MIT. It was a period in which there was a lot of anti-war activity, civil rights activity, and MIT was a hotbed of that kind of protesting. So I thought I would take a year off. I was studying uh, poliovirus, that I would take a year off and do something totally different from laboratory research, much as I loved laboratory research. And I was able to be a volunteer with Ralph Nader. And I got down to Washington, and somebody had just finished writing a book about the Food and Drug Administration. And so Ralph said, well, Jacobson has got a PhD from MIT. Why doesn't he write a book about food additives? And so I said, well, what's a food additive, and how in the world do you write a book? You know, I was this lab rat. And they just kind of said, oh, just go ahead and you'll figure it out. And somehow I figured it out. I had to learn a lot about toxicology and nutrition as I was writing the book. And so that's how I got involved in food from a non-consumer point of view for the first time. And, and I thought it was interesting, but my conclusion from writing a book about food additives was that food additives weren't very important compared to the foods in which they're used. So in soda pop, it wasn't so much the food dyes and the flavorings, it was all the sugar. 
in hot dogs, it wasn't so much the sodium nitrite, though that's a problem. It was all the saturated fat and the salt. And so I finished my book on food additives and then decided, you know, I better look into this. And so I wrote a book about nutrition. And that was in 1973. Ever since then, I worked on nutrition, but kept on following food additives, doing what I could there. And initially, I didn't know much about salt. But as the 70s went on, I began learning more and more, seeing expert opinions, reading scientific papers, and concluded that salt is pretty important. So that's to answer your question of how I got into nutrition. Well, you conclude in this book that reducing sodium is one of the, if not the most important dietary change that we need to make to improve all kinds of chronic health problems. So for example, as a dietitian, I've certainly taught lots of low-sodium diets, and usually they were directed to people with high blood pressure. But you also talk about sodium's role in obesity, in headaches, in erectile dysfunction. There's even mention about high-sodium diets' contributions to osteoporosis, cognitive decline, and dementia. So Yeah, it's really important. <laughs> yeah. But the most obvious thing, and the one where there's the most concern, is increasing the risk of cardiovascular disease, strokes, and heart attacks. That's the real killer. And epidemiologists have looked at salt in the American diet and have concluded that the excess sodium that we're consuming and we can get into the numbers in a bit, but the excess sodium is causing as many as 100,000 deaths per year, 100,000 premature deaths per year. It's just shocking. It is. And to the average person, that's a surprise because they think of salt as just that white stuff in the uh, shaker on the table. And you know, we've grown up with salt all of our lives. It's just such a part of our lives, and how could it be so dangerous when it appears to be so innocent? Exactly, and ubiquitous. You also, in your book, bring up some quotes from the chefs in the world who say, or famous cookbook authors who say, really, we need to be adding salt to improve flavor. And that's kind of been a ubiquitous message for those of us in the kitchen, is that, you know, if you want to improve the flavor of food, you do it with salt. Yeah, restaurant chefs basic methodology is to add salt and butter to everything. Right. <laughs> it, it tastes good, but we may die a little earlier after eating that too many times. Right. Salt does make things taste better. And evolution has led us to like the taste of salty foods because salt is the sodium, the sodium and the salt is an essential nutrient. We need it. And so as animals were developing over millions of years, literally, they learned to go for salt because most natural diets don't have much sodium in them. There are interesting studies of, oh, you can go back to Paleolithic diets, you know, not the 20th century ones, but 10,000 years ago, and the anthropologists estimate 
that Paleolithic people were consuming maybe 800, 1,000 milligrams of sodium per day. That compares to something like 3,400, so it's less than one-third as much sodium. And it's because plant foods have almost no sodium, and animal products, cattle or rabbits or whatever Paleolithic people were consuming, they contained a little sodium. It really wasn't until the industrial age or agricultural age several thousand years ago that people started consuming a lot more sodium, and sodium became a valuable mineral. And even to this day, there are isolated tribes in New Guinea, Africa, South America, that eat essentially vegetarian diets. You know, they live off of plants, maybe an occasional rabbit or hamster or whatever they can grab. And those people consume maybe 100 milligrams, maybe 300 milligrams of sodium per day, so a tenth as much as Americans consume. And that's perfectly sufficient for their bodies. Mm -hmm. But once those people move to cities, typically in Africa or some larger cities in, in South America, they consume much more sodium, much more salt, and all too frequently end up with high blood pressure. Mm. And probably not only because of the salt, but their diets and lifestyles change in many ways. But the human body is programmed to like salty foods. The food industry takes advantage of that to get us to buy their foods. And it's kind of an innate force. Our brain has to overcome our tongue in this battle for better health. Absolutely. And we should dive into the numbers, I think, at this point, just to give people an idea of what we're talking about. And I remember back when I was doing bedside dietary counseling, it was a little difficult to separate salt versus sodium. So just so people understand, we are talking about sodium. And one teaspoon of salt, which is sodium chloride, contains about 2,325 milligrams of sodium. And the recommendations that you have in the book showing us what are the latest guidelines U.S. Dietary Guidelines says no more than 2,300 milligrams of sodium per day. And then if you're like me, over 50, and even have maybe a little bit of prehypertension or hypertension, that number drops significantly to 1,500 milligrams of sodium per day. And then we can get into starting to look at those food labels. Is there anything you want to add about those numbers that are recommended? No, those are the the numbers from the World Health Organization, the Department of Health and Human Services, and many other American Heart Association. So figure for the average average person, 2,300 milligrams is what to shoot for. The average person is consuming 50% more, about 3,400 milligrams per day. Mm. And for a nation that is drenched with restaurant foods, packaged foods, almost all of which are high in sodium, it's very difficult for the average person to bring down their sodium intake to the 2,300 or even for people with hypertension, 1,500 milligrams a day. And I've tried to monitor my sodium intake 
by writing down how much of every food I consumed and then reading the label or looking up on the Internet how much sodium is in those foods. And it's a daunting task to monitor your sodium intake and then to cut it down. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need, and the food industry has ignored pleas for 50 years to reduce sodium levels in its food. That's why we need the Food and Drug Administration to set limits on how much sodium is in foods, with different foods being permitted different amounts of sodium. Exactly. The FDA has not done that. Five years ago, it proposed voluntary standards. Mm. So a serving of cheese would have no more than this much sodium, a breakfast cereal no more than this much sodium, and so on. Five years ago, but the Trump administration never finalized those voluntary guidelines. So absolutely nothing has happened in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully the Biden administration will take a crack at finalizing those voluntary guidelines. Well, I'm glad you took our discussion down this path. And we are going to go back to the numbers because I want to lead our listeners to a place of shock and awe when we let them know just how much sodium really is out there. Before we started our conversation, I mentioned to you that I really think the the average consumption numbers are way on the low side based on how much food we eat in restaurants. But we're going to get back to that. But I do need to take one break and just let our listeners know if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio where we are speaking with Dr. Michael Jacobson. He was the former director of the Center for Science and the Public Interest, and he is the author of a terrific new book titled Salt Wars, The Battle Over the Biggest Killer in the American Diet. I want to know about the role of these trade associations, because you think, okay, the government, we pay our taxes. I always use the word our government because Our government, in my view, should offer some protection to the masses that individuals can't make on their own. And yet, here we have the Food and Drug Administration, which should be looking out for us, and Congress not acting in our best interests. And then we learn about trade associations. Talk to us about the barriers that we're up against and how and why we can't get simple, good legislation controlling the amount of added sodium in our diets? Well, trade associations are powerful institutions made up of food manufacturers or coal companies or whatever that are very active in Washington. And that's in addition to major companies themselves being very active. So in the salt world, there's Morton Salt and just a few other major producers of salt, and they created the Salt Institute that was active for many years. It was a lobbying and PR organization, and whenever anybody had any criticism of salt, they would pipe up, issue press releases attacking the person or the organization, and then go to Congress or the Department of Health and Human Services and try to ensure that those agencies took no action to reduce sodium limits. And the Salt Institute published articles and booklets contending that it would actually be dangerous to reduce sodium be- 
because the scientific evidence wasn't there for reductions, and because if people didn't salt their foods, people wouldn't eat food, mm. and we would starve, especially for not eating enough vegetables. Fortunately, the Salt Institute went out of business two years ago, and hopefully that will make it easier to get some restrictions on sodium. But the Salt Institute wasn't the big player. The biggie was the Grocery Manufacturers Association. That's the organization made up of the huge companies like General Mills, Kellogg, you know, the big brand name companies that you've heard of. McDonald's is a member, even though it doesn't sell groceries. Right. And the GMA was really the lobbying force to try to prevent the government from taking action. And then the individual companies would pipe up in various circumstances. So in Salt Wars really refers to two different wars. The first one is the scientific war, where even though most health experts have agreed for 50 years that people should be cutting down on their sodium and that sodium should be limited in packaged and restaurant foods, there are a few people who are still stirring up trouble. They're covered by the media because they're kind of man-bites-dog stories. You know, oh, it's a surprise. If you cut back on sodium, that's dangerous. So the food industry loves those little bits of research out there. The other war is the more political war, and that's to the war over getting public policies to protect the public's health. Mm -hmm. And it's been going on for almost 50 years. The Food and Drug Administration had an advisory committee back in 1978 and 79. And Way back then, the advisory committee concluded that salt should not be considered generally recognized as safe. And that uh, legal classification meant that companies could use as much salt as they wanted in whatever foods they're making. Nothing came of that because of industry pressure. And then, you know, we've seen that over the years. Whenever there was an official recommendation, industry would would come back to fight it. And I think one of the, in more recent years, so that was 1978 or 79, in more recent years, for instance, after the FDA proposed voluntary limits on sodium in different categories of food, the Grocery Manufacturers Association and the Snack Food Association and the American Meat Institute and every other trade association jumped in said, we're all for lowering sodium, but not in our products. We don't use dangerous amounts of sodium. Our foods, this industry provides only 3% of sodium. That industry is only 8%. It's like nobody's to blame. That opposition to these voluntary standards is one factor that prevented them from being finalized, at least until now. And then, of course, the Trump administration came in and and it didn't approve of any regulations to speak of. Mm-hmm. And there was another good in- example where the Obama administration wanted to lower sodium in school meals to safe levels. And they had three stages of reductions. The first one went into effect in 2014 when Obama was president. 
but there were two more reductions, and that's when the food companies that sell foods to schools, whether it's pizza or salad dressing, they stepped in and were able to get Congress and the Department of Agriculture to block further reductions. They delayed one level of reduction, the 2017 reduction, they delayed that till 2024, and they got rid of the third level of reduction totally. And Mm -hmm. so that's a good example of how industry uses its might to foil uh, health measures that could save thousands upon thousands of lives a year. Right. And it's such a shame with regard to school food especially because what that tells me, and it's very well outlined in your book as well, is that really industry profit is more important even than children's health, which is, in my opinion, criminal. I'll tell you what else is criminal, and that is the amount of sodium that we find in restaurant foods. And one big health message I always give consumers is that if you want to be healthier, learn to cook and cook more of your meals at home. And your list in your book on page 15 gives us a really good example of that. So going back to our original comment that we want to limit the amount of sodium in our diets to 2,300 milligrams of sodium per day, if you look at, say, a popular Chick-fil-A, spicy chicken sandwich, waffle potato fries, and chicken soup, that has over 3,820 milligrams of sodium. Or Applebee's, this is a common chain restaurant. We see it when we're driving down the highway. Chipotle lime chicken quesadilla, house salad with ranch dressing, fiesta lime chicken, 7,150 milligrams of sodium. So if you are eating out a lot, you're going to be getting a lot of sodium. And if you've got hypertension, if you've got heart disease, if you've got any reason why you might be concerned about heart disease, maybe it's in your family, it is not a good idea to make a habit of eating out. Well, and I think it applies to everybody because 90% of Americans are going to end up with high blood pressure. And the sooner we train our taste buds to like lower sodium foods, the better. But the higher your blood pressure, the more you should try to lower your sodium. And lowering sodium can be as effective as taking an antihypertension drug. Wow, with less side effects, I might add. Right, and it's cheaper, and you don't have to go to the doctor all the time, but it's harder. It's much easier to pop a pill than read every single food label. So what I try to do for my own diet is to find brands of foods that I like and stick with those. And for almost every kind of food, salad dressing, hot dogs, chicken, you'll find that some brands are very high in sodium, And some brands have significantly less, like a third less. So go for the lower sodium ones. And then, of course, as as you said, Melinda, the more cooking we do ourselves, the more we control the taste of our food and the healthfulness of our food. Right. But, you know, everybody loves going to restaurants. I do. And we should look for, we should have smaller portions. Most restaurants don't tell you how much sodium, so assume everything is salty. When you get an entree, maybe split it with a friend or ask the server to 
put half of it in a doggy bag to at least spread it out over a couple of days. Right. But and it's it's not so much fast food restaurants. Their their foods are very salty. Also, it's the table service restaurants like the Applebee's and Chick Fil A and um, Chili's. You know, Chili's that the portions are humongous, and it's not just a ton of salt. It's also saturated fat and calories. So it's just crazy to be consuming those kinds of meals. Well, the other point I wanted to make is that the majority of sodium that we get in our diet is not from the salt shaker. And I think that if you tell someone that they should reduce the salt in their diet, that's probably, as you mentioned earlier on, the first thing we think of is the salt shaker, when actually it's not. And the number one source of sodium in the diet, which was a huge surprise always whenever we let somebody know, is actually bread. That's right. And it's not that bread is so high in sodium, but that we eat it so frequently. So you know, for breakfast, maybe a couple of slices of bread for lunch, a sandwich, for dinner, a dinner roll or two. So so that adds up tremendously. And then and that's leaving out the crust of a pizza or a tortilla from when you're eating out or the bun on a hamburger sandwich when you're eating out. Right. So bread is a major source. But the thing that's hard that makes reducing sodium so difficult is that there's salt in practically everything. Yeah. And as opposed to sugar, where we get almost half of our sugar from soda pop. And so you just stop drinking soda for the average person. That would get rid of half the sugar. But there's no one food that provides the preponderance of sodium in our diet. Mm-hmm. Well, your book is fabulous because it not only reassures us that our palate can adjust, you also provide good charts showing us which foods are super high in sodium that we might be unaware of, especially when eating out. You also give us some really good recipes for seasoning mixes. We just have one minute left, and I want to give that to you. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know before we must close? Yeah, I think we've covered most of the important points. And one, salty diets are much more harmful than the average person realizes. And secondly, we can do something about it. You know, we can have policies that lower sodium levels in the food supply so we don't have to worry about it as much. And we can control it at home. And one thing we didn't touch on is the use of light salt at home. Instead of using regular salt, get Morton's light salt, which has half as much sodium per teaspoon or whatever. And that's it's not quite a magic bullet, but it's a really easy way to reduce sodium intake. Excellent. But, and you also give a list of high-potassium foods, which can offset some of the harm from the high sodium. Unfortunately, we have to close. I'm so sorry. We could go on, I know, for another hour. But I want our listeners to know that I'm grateful for them listening. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri, 
Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Michael Jacobson, co-founder and former executive director for 50 years, I might add, of the Center for Science in the Public Interest. And he has written numerous books, but this last is a treasure. It's titled Salt Wars, The Battle Over the Biggest Killer in the American Diet. And I will provide a link to CSPI, and I will provide a link to Salt Wars. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Jacobson. Thank you, Melinda. It's been great talking with you. 